What's going on, everybody? And welcome into Monday's episode of Bet to Win with the Win Las Vegas and the Blue Wire Studios. I'm your host, Joe Fan. Hope you all had a wonderful weekend. I had myself a big weekend. The Masters happening at Augusta. I had my own big golf event and outing. Uh, I went up to St. George, Utah. Me and 11 buddies, 12 of us total. A big frat house. It was wild. Beverages were consumed. We played five rounds of golf. We played two at Copper Rock. We played Wolf Creek. We played 36 um, holes at Sand Hollows Championship Course. And I can't recommend it enough. If you are in the Vegas area or looking for a spot to do a buddy's golf trip, this is the second year we've done this with this group now. And our first year, we went to Sea uh, Pines in Hilton Head, South Carolina. And so we did Harbor Town and then Heron Point and Atlantic Dunes. It was an epic trip. And I think I would still say, if I'm making the power rankings of the six courses we played, I'd put it Harbor Town one, mostly because it's just so unique compared to anything else I've played. But the next three in the power rankings would be the three we played this weekend. And if you haven't gotten to Wolf Creek, you've got to do it. I mean, some of the views, the tee shots, the elevation changes, they make you sign a waiver to get your golf cart because of how much it slopes and there's speed bumps all the way down to where you're keeping your pace. Um, it's pretty nutty. And I'm sure there are people that wreck golf carts there on a daily basis, but it's super cool, very unique. Um, and then Sand Hollow very much in the same way. The back nine at Sand Hollow is maybe my favorite nine holes I've ever played. Um, there's a stretch from 12 to 15, four holes where they are straight down a cliff's edge. And it just makes you wonder how on earth do they even think about putting a golf course in here or actually have the ability to pull it off? Because it is, you've got a mountain uh, ridge up to the, the side of you and a cliff on the other side. And you've got four straight holes of it. And it was just immaculate golf. It was really cool. We got, uh, for the most part, lucky with weather. The wind was only bad for two, two of our rounds. So um, it was a blast. Hit the ball pretty well. Had a really good time. Uh, and I probably won't feel normal and back up to 100% till Wednesday because that's how it goes when you're 32 and you drink all weekend with the boys. But a ton of fun. Uh, and I know a bunch of people out here probably listen to this on social media. Um, love to, to go on a golf trip. And, and I couldn't suggest um, St. Hollow enough. You know, you look at cost-wise too, pretty affordable. About 1,200 a person uh, when, you know, after golf, groceries, uh, lodging, all that. So that was my weekend. We did make it home in time back to Vegas to watch the final round of the Masters. Uh, and I have a couple of victory laps and several L's to hold from my Masters bets that I gave out on Thursday. My best bet was a loser. Sadly, I'd like to think it was a good bet. Justin Thomas to finish top five at plus 275. He finishes T8. He was minus three through nine in the top five. And then he had three bogeys on the back as well as a double over the final nine holes. So that was tough. Would have loved to win that one. Uh, I also lost Brooks Kepka and Sam Burns uh, making the top 20. They both missed the cut. Brooks Kepka proving once again the golf gods and, and the gods of karma are very real. People forget, not I though, that he smoked your boy on hole three at the TPC, uh, TPC Summerlin for the Shriners uh, back in October. Um, the war is still waging between him and I, even though we like sort of hashed it out at the match here at the win, but like not really. And the fact that he's still in bad form, even at a master, at a major, in the masters, 
I don't think it's uh, I don't think it's an accident. So Brooks and Sam Burns, really bad bets, but I did win three others: Colin Morikawa, Corey Connors, and Will Zalatoris, all top twenty. All three of them were top ten. So hindsight being what it is, should have put those tickets in to get a little more juice. Can't argue with winning tickets. Overall, small loss on the weekend. Uh, but Corey Connors, Will Zalatoris, and Morikawa comfortably inside the top 20. Let's get to some headlines before we get to our guest. And I'm, I'm excited to talk to him. Uh, his name is Cam Rogers. He's a national betting and golf analyst and host of Lock It In on Believe Network. We're going to get to him in a moment. But first, let's just go through what transpired at Augusta. And Scotty Scheffler remains the hottest man on the planet, figuratively and literally. He's on fire. He's killing it. He's now won four of his last six starts, including a World Golf Invitational in terms of that uh, match play in Texas. And then now a major, and not just a major, but the major, winning the Masters. He ran away from folks on Sunday. He was at 12 under, um, five strokes ahead of Rory McIlroy. Ends up doubling with a four put on 18. He could have six put. Max Homa's uh, tweet was pretty funny after the round saying, Four putt, may as well just six putt just to prove that you could win by one. Uh, huge odds for him. He was 40 to one at the open, went off at 25 to one on Thursday before he hit his first tee shot. This man has won $2.7 million for his win at Augusta. Now has won $8.7 million over the last two months over those last six PGA starts. Pretty incredible stuff. I mean, I'm going to ask Cam what he thinks of this run, what he makes of this run, but we haven't seen anything like this in quite some time. I saw um, over the course of six starts for someone to win a World Golf Invitational, um, a major, and four total starts. Uh, Tiger Woods is the only other player to do so. He's done it several times, but now Scotty Scheffler has done it. Pretty remarkable what he is doing. And it, there was no drama. This guy dominated from start to finish. And he had his stressful moments. He had his bad shots. He hooked his first tee shot. He ended up scrambling to go up and down. What he did comprehensively from tee to green was incredible. Hold out on a chip, um, went incredibly up and down on a par five on the back nine from, you know, you're on a tight lie behind the green. If you hit it too hard, even a little bit, it's rolling down into the water and he goes up and down. Incredible stuff from Scotty Scheffler. Can't wait to ask uh, Cam all about it. Again, having just played golf all weekend, golf is very much in my mind. And what... What blows my mind about these players isn't obviously the elite shots are incredible, but as like a very okay golfer, I have a lot of shots that are really good and I can make birdies or at least give myself opportunities to make birdies. Now I'm nowhere near uh, uh, even a competent putter, let alone a, a tour level putter, but it's what these guys do with their mental toughness to not implode when they start hitting bad shots. Scotty Scheffler Again, and he talked about it in his press conference afterwards about how he was crying in the morning. He was talking to his wife. I don't know if I'm ready for this moment. Um, and to steal your nerves after hooking your first tee shot, he punches through, goes up and down. And he had a lot of that. He hooked like his first two or three tee shots. That's what blows my mind about these guys. And to do it for four days in a row, it is absolutely remarkable. Uh, before we get to Cam, let's set the table for the NBA play-in matchups. Uh, really only one matchup I care to speak of. And, and it, what's funny is, is Boston uh, wins their finale on Sunday. The Bucks lose. They finish in a tie. Boston wins the tiebreaker. And they are the two seed. And what do they get? Probably a first-round matchup 
with the Nets and Kyrie Irving and, and Kevin Durant. Uh, the Nets are uh, eight-point favorites against the Cavs. This game will be on Tuesday and overset at 229.5. Again, the winner will play Boston. Celtics fans praying the Cavs can pull off the upset. It's not likely. Cavs are three and seven over their last 10. They rank 19th in defensive rebounding and 23rd in opponents free throw late over their last 10. This was one of the best teams defensively for the first three quarters of the season. And they have really fallen off of late. Uh, the Nets, it's, it's shocking that they're even in this position, but given the star power on that team, they should be just fine. And what a first round matchup when you have the Celtics again against likely the Nets. We will preview all of the first round matchups on Thursday's show uh, once the, the, the field is kind of uh, figured out. It will be figured out given these play-in games happening are happening on Tuesday and Wednesday. Uh, also in the Eastern Conference, this game on Wednesday, the nine-seeded Hawks are four-point favorites against the 10-seed Hornets. Total set at 240 and a half. 240 and a half. Points will be scored. Both these teams coming in in pretty good form. The Hawks seven and three. The Hornets six and four over their last 10. And if you talk about effective field goal percentage, these two teams have been lighting it up. The Hornets rank fifth and the Hawks rank seventh. The Hornets at 58.3% and the Hawks at 56.8%. So again, that total really high. It's really high for a reason. Should be a fun game. Ultimately shouldn't matter in terms of the Eastern Conference playoff picture. In the Western Conference on Tuesday, the T-Wolves, the number seven seeded T-Wolves are two and a half point favorites against the eight seed Clippers. Total set at 233. Uh, the winner will play Memphis, the two seed in the Western Conference. D'Angelo Russell, questionable in this game, but with an illness, he did not play in the season finale on Sunday. Neither of these teams playing well. The Clips at five and five and the Wolves at four and six over their last 10. The interesting thing with this matchup here for me is that you have one roster that's very top heavy with their superstars, and, and that is Carl Anthony Towns, Anthony Edwards, and D'Angelo Russell uh, with Minneapolis not Minneapolis, Minnesota. Uh, the T-Wolves, again, rely on their stars heavily. The Clippers, while they have the superstar and Paul George, they play one of the deepest rotations in the NBA. So a contrasting uh, style from that standpoint in terms of their rotations and who is the focal point for each team. Um, and then Wednesday, uh, the Pelicans, the nine-seeded are five-point favorites against the Spurs. This game is an absolute joke that it's even being played. Total of 232 is the total, the eventual eight seed will play the Suns. Uh, I guess I did forget to mention the eventual eight seed in the Eastern Conference will play Miami, who got the top seed in the Eastern Conference. Uh, this game, sort of a joke. Both teams are a collective 24 games under 500. And so this was not the vision for the play-in tournament, but here we are doing it anyways. Uh, both teams, uh, six and four in their last 10, um, but the Pelicans lost their last two games of the season. The Spurs lost their last three. I probably won't bet on any of them. Um, if anything, maybe I will take the Nets, minus eight. But I'm staying away from the other three. Too unpredictable. I've got some futures we'll talk about on Thursday. We can talk series prices and all of that uh, when the time comes. But for now, that's the table is set. You can decide whether to bet on any of those four games. Again, uh, the seven, eight game, whoever wins will be the seven seed. The loser of that game will play the winner of the nine, 10 game. The winner of that game will be the eight seed in both conferences. Again, the two seed in the East will play Boston, the, or the seven seed, sorry, will play Boston, which is the two seed. The eight seed will play uh, Miami. And in the West, the eight seed will play the Suns. The seven seed will play Memphis. 
Let's get to today's guest. He is Cam Rogers, a national betting and golf analyst, and the host of Lock It In on Believe Network. You can follow him on Twitter at Mr. Rogers99. No one I'd rather talk golf with than this guy. And he was tapped in all weekend to the Masters and all the action at Augusta. Cam, how did you enjoy the tournament? I think there's a debate here of, of was it a snooze because you saw one guy run away with it, or or was it still the the, the entertainment um, even without the drama for you? What's going on, Joe? Great to be with you, sir. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I think I was more interested in Tiger's final 18 holes on Sunday than Scotty Scheffler's final 18 holes on Sunday. Like, I understand the perspective. I prefer a lot of possibilities going into the back nine at Augusta National. I'm talking about 2011. Remember that collapse from Rory McIlroy? And then that just brought in so many different players at once. KJ Choi, Angel Cabrera, Tiger Woods, Jeff Ogilvie, Charles Schwartzel, of course, as well. I prefer that drama as opposed to what we saw on Sunday. Look, I mean, it's easy to appreciate that display of golf the entire week from Scotty Scheffler. But as far as a routine is concerned every year at the Masters, I want some drama. I want some volatility, unpredictability. We didn't get that yesterday, which, you know, is fine. We have golf every single week, so I'm not going to sit here and just, you know, whine about it. But the preferred enjoyment on a Master Sunday, Joe, is that element of who's going to win this thing on 18. And we didn't get that this weekend, but that's okay. Well, let's start with the winner. And, and Scotty Scheffler, another statement from him, a dominant win. He could have six-putted on 18 and still yeah. won his first major. Two months ago, he didn't have a single win. Now he's got four and seven starts, including the biggest major of them all. What has impressed you most and how would you sort of summarize uh, and qualify what he has done? Because we don't see runs like this very often. I don't want to say Tiger-esque because we just don't want to go there. We get to the, like the MJ LeBron comparisons and I don't want to right. ever trivialize what Tiger did in his heyday, but this is pretty remarkable. Golf is random and volatile. And the sheer fact that Scotty Scheffler has four wins in six starts is pretty remarkable. $17.6 million in career earnings now, ranked number one in the world. He's a Masters champion. You know, I was off him going into the Masters. I thought, okay, maybe a little regression to the mean, which is totally understandable when you win three times in five events. Like, you got to fall back to earth a little bit too. And it's not really an indictment on Scotty Scheffler going into that week. It was more of a testament to the talent pool of the PGA Tour. The margins of difference in the talent on the PGA Tour are so thin. Anybody can win any given week. I thought this run was going to end at some point and maybe at the Masters. So, Really credit to Scotty Scheffler for not falling victim to complacency. I don't know how you could playing in the Masters anyway, but still, it certainly is a thing out there in the sporting world. And we sort of saw this coming, Joe. 2021, his Masters performance, T18. But how about the other three majors? T8 at the PGA, T7 at the U.S. Open, T8 at the Open Championship. He was in the final match at the match play last year as well. So he's a big game hunter kind of like a Cam Smith, kind of like a Xander Shoffley, a Brooks Kepka, a Dustin Johnson. And he has that balanced game that you want too. You really can't find a weakness from him. Now, is his swing something to behold? Probably not. Joe, I would not imitate the swing if I were you. I certainly wouldn't either. That could cause some pain because he's like slipping all the time when he swings and it's very Arnold Palmer-esque, but it works for him. And now he's winning at a clip that we haven't seen in quite some time right now since maybe Jason Day 
back in 2015 when he won four times in six events and became the number one player in the world. So credit to Scotty Scheffler. Great display of golf. He's a grinder. He's a fighter. And he's going to be right there in the mix at these majors this year. Is that the most impressive thing about him for you? Because you're right. It's not necessarily pretty, but, and he does, he fires at pins. The, the elite golf shots are there, but to me, you snap your first tee left. And I spoke about this when we opened the show, you know, he's, he's going into Sunday. We now, we, we know afterwards he spoke to the media and said, I was nervous. I was crying my eyes. I didn't know if I was ready for this moment. And then sure enough, he comes out now knowing that, and he comes out on, on hole one and snaps his tee into the woods. An incredible punch out goes up and down. And, and you mentioned the word fighter. He's a grinder. He's a scrambler. What he did off the green when things went awry, obviously, until the, the four point on 18, I thought to me was maybe the most tremendous part of his game. Yeah, the composure. And we didn't get a Jordan Spieth 2016 sort of collapse at Amen Corner. In fact, if anybody collapsed, it was Cam Smith, and he was the closest pursuer until Rory McIlroy did Rory McIlroy stuff on a final round at a major championship, right? Getting within three shots there of Scotty Scheffler. So yeah, his ability to bounce back in those adverse events in the early going at the Masters in the final round is pretty remarkable. And that's why I think he's going to continue to be a threat at these major championships because he's unflappable. I know that's a buzzword being thrown around out there right now, but it's very accurate and it's funny, as you mentioned about his swing, he's not like an automatic ball striking machine. Like he's not a crisp Ben Hogan kind of iron player like a Colin Morikawa or a Justin Thomas. He is more of that overall just complete golfer that relies on every single part of his game, not just like one specific skill set, if that makes a lot of sense there. So he's somebody that, again, can really lean on the short game when he wants to, but also the iron game here and there. Sometimes the driver here and there, and of course the putter as well. I mean, when everybody else was sort of falling apart or just kind of stuck in neutral, Scotty Scheffler kept his foot on the pedal and until that final hole, of course, on 18. He should have six-putted that, honestly. That would have been actually pretty funny just for, you know, giggles. Obviously, he was going to win that tournament. But yeah, I mean, pretty remarkable stuff from what we saw from him. And again, pretty good value in the outright market for any major this year, in my opinion. Yep. You mentioned that you were more locked into what Tiger did on the final round. He did make the cut. Those bets cashed, uh, but he struggled down the stretch. And it was sort of hard to watch by my estimation, just in terms of seeing him limp around, sort of use his driver yeah. as almost a cane at different times. And maybe there's a little bit of hamming it up to, to let everybody know that he was battling through it. But I, I do think there was something too, obviously, him not being 100% and walking four rounds, uh, having you know not played in a year and a half in that capacity. Um, was a tall task and was always going to be a tall task. What do you make of his weekend? Was it successful? Was it hard to watch for you? Uh, where are you at with Tiger? Tiger Woods gets a ceremonial sixth green jacket for just showing up to Augusta National and competing on that golf course, which, by the way, is not easy to walk for 72 holes. I mean, the sheer fact that he showed up is a victory in his own right. I thought... The timeline would have been the Open Championship at St. Andrews, flat golf course, plenty of time to recover. He's won there twice in his career. I could not have dreamed for him to play in the Masters here, 14 months removed from nearly getting his leg amputated. It's a remarkable story. Yeah, it was hard to watch at times and not talking about his play, just him walking that golf course. You can tell he's a little bit gimpy, still dealing with the after effects of that incident. And of course, 
you know, having rods and screws in your leg, it's going to mess with your ability to walk cleanly, if you will. So for Tiger Woods to go through those 72 holes of competition, make the cut, as you mentioned, and go ahead and not have really any setbacks, at least that's what it appeared, is again, amazing. And, you know, if he was in contention on Sunday, it would have been the story of the millennium, in my opinion, certainly if he were to win the Masters this past week. But it was really great to see him, Joe. I mean, perspective matters, and we only get to see the GOAT of the PGA Tour so often now. His schedule is very, very condensed, understandably so, especially after this accident. I think at maximum, we see him three more times this year. So whatever Tiger Woods tees it up and plays at a particular event, you drink it all in. That's what I tell all my listeners out there. Drink it all in because you're only going to get so much of Tiger at this point in his career. But he loves the Masters. He loves the major championships. And he is still gunning for that Jack Nicholas record. That is very clear to me. Only four majors in a PGA Tour season. So he knows he's not getting any younger. He needs to cash in and play every single one that he can. Yeah, now at 46 years old, I was going to ask a follow-up that you sort of answered for me in terms of, you know, is this what we need to expect from Tiger moving forward? Should we just be happy to watch him rather than having real expectations for him to contend? Um, So I will instead pivot my question to how desperate is the PGA Tour for Tiger still? You saw the gallery on Monday at the practice round at Augusta. We know he is still the biggest ticket in town, even when he's nowhere near the leaderboard. Is, is golf any closer to not needing him in that capacity? Are there enough stars around the game uh, and personalities that are growing, um, you know, again, throughout the tour? Or do you still think, and is this week still indicative of just how desperate the tour is for Tiger? Yeah, I don't know if I would use the word desperate per se, but certainly we are milking, you know, as a media entity, if you will, the Tiger Woods performances on the PGA Tour, right? He not only moves the needle, he could be the needle in the game. I mean, he is just such a different guy. He's built different. It's Woods, it's Jordan, it's Brady. Nobody is like those three, you know? And so, you know, in terms of work ethic and mental fortitude to battle through adversity and perform at such a high level at such a high age as well. And so for Tiger Woods, he means so much to the PGA Tour. And Joe, I've gotten asked this question a lot about who's the next Tiger and what have you. And Really, the answer is there isn't going to be one. It's got to be a team effort from other stars on the PGA Tour just to get to like 65% of what Tiger Woods can provide for the golf world, right? So I'm talking about Brooks versus Bryson. That was fun. The matches are a lot of fun. You know, you get some good content on social media from Max Homa and some other guys out there who are pretty active. But nothing will get to that level of Tiger Woods. And so, you know, I'm sure CBS... And the production team there, the production truck truck uh, was clapping really hard because they had Tiger Woods for that weekend. And of course, they'll show every single shot that he had that weekend as they should. Uh, but it is a scary thought, not going to lie. Life after Tiger Woods, who's going to move that needle? And the best answer is it's got to be a team effort. Everybody has to pitch in a little bit because we will never get a Tiger Woods again unless his name is Charlie Woods. So and, we'll see. And you think about some of the names who have such big personalities, like a Max Homa, and he's obviously one on tour, and I, I, there's not taking away from his game, but you look at a Harry Higgs, who's kind of around and yeah. kind of relevant, but but not really there to contend on a week-to-week basis. You'd love to see some of those bigger personalities take a step forward and, and be in contention with, you know, the Brooks, the Brysons, the JTs, the Colin Morikawas, 
um, and the Rory McIlroy's um, for that matter. And I want to ask you about his final round 64. On one hand, really impressive. It shows you his upside that we all know exists. The, the chip in out of the bunker was incredible. Colin Morikawa following it up. Maybe the, the coolest moment of the weekend outside of Scotty Scheffler and Tiger Woods. Um, but also sort of infuriating that everyone is waiting still for Rory to kind of make that surge again. And he's woefully inconsistent. He hasn't been in good form coming into this tournament. And to shoot a 64 and finish second, but when you were really out of contention from the jump is almost sort of infuriating for, uh, you know, Rory's staunchest supporters. Rory McIlroy, the king of backdoor top tens at major championships. I mean, you have to go back to 2014, Joe, for the last time he actually won a major championship. So it really has been quite some time. I thought the Players' Championship set up well for him. I thought this week obviously set up well for him too. And even though he finished highly on the leaderboard, he was never really a threat to take the green jacket from Scotty Scheffler unless Scheffler went into the water like multiple times at Amen Corner. You know what I mean? So for Rory, there are a few concerns. Number one, what's up with these slow starts? It's not his ability to play golf. I think it's something in between the ears. I'm not necessarily sure. Listen, here's the other thing too. The elite golfers today have a lot more perspective on life. We're not talking about the early 2000s when we're talking about Vijay Singh and Tiger Woods beating balls on the range for 10 hours a day, right? These guys have families. They have other parts of their lives. They have companies that they own. So Dustin Johnson, Brooks Kepka, Rory McIlroy, they preach life balance. And sometimes an effect of that is, well, you're not going to win as much. And that's just how it is. And of course, there's more immense talent here on the PGA Tour right now than ever before. So there's that. You're dealing with better competition, right? So put that all together. And then you add in the fact that Rory McIlroy has been struggling with his irons, which is kind of weird to say. He's known to be a great ball striker. Really, he's saving himself with his driver and his short game right now. He's got to get crisper with that ball striking with the iron game. And then we'll see him win tournaments, major championships again. But I can't believe it's been so long since he's won a major. He has to win again, right? So, I mean, the game is fine overall. Obviously, we have a very high bar for one Rory McIlroy, especially during that run of 2014, for instance, and 2012 and 2011. So, you know, I think he'll be okay. But as I mentioned, life balance is a big-time storyline for a lot of these guys now, and that lends to inconsistency, which is totally okay. Cam, I know I, I said I'd keep you for 15 minutes. I got a couple more for you, though, because this is such good stuff. And I love talking golf, especially on the heels of what was yeah. uh, a pretty wild weekend at Augusta. Who had the best weekend that we're not talking enough about? Who, who made a move? Who caught your eye? You know, to me, you look at a guy, Corey Connors, quietly another top yeah. 10 after just being uh, on the final day in the semifinals and placing third in that match play tournament. He continues to quietly be in the mix. Um, who is a guy for you that you feel like Maybe we're not talking about enough uh, following this weekend. Watch for Shane Lowry. This major championship season came into the Masters week with really good ball striking. He was actually number three in my power rankings, finished tied for third. So that's cool. Although did good not have Scotty Scheffler in my top 10. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so look, Shane Lowry is a grinder. I mean, he's a guy when conditions get really difficult, he thrives in that round two at the Masters when conditions were horrible. Shane Lowry went 400 par when everybody else was over par. You know what I mean? So he's somebody that I really like. Obviously, at an open championship, he won at Portrush not too long ago. But 
also the U.S. Open, also the PGA Championship. His game translates to different tournaments. So he's somebody that really impressed me this week. Watch for him going forward. And then I talk about how we have these machines of ball strikers on the PGA Tour right now, right? Justin Thomas, Colin Morikawa, Will Zalatoris, another one of those guys. Absolutely automatic from tee to green. If he finds a hot putter, he can win any time. Played really well, as you talked about, tied for sixth here at the Masters. His first two starts at the Masters, a runner-up and a T6. That's pretty darn good. I think he understands Augusta National. So I think a major championship is coming for him at some point, certainly a Masters in his career. And then Corey Connors, three straight top tens at the Masters. He's automatic with his ball striking too. So as you can tell, this leaderboard is littered with elite ball strikers with really good momentum right now. So I would watch for Zalatoris, Connors, Shane Lowry. I love that. There were... uh some bad weekends. We talked about a lot of the good, but there were some heavy hitters who missed the cut altogether. Brooks Kepka, Bryson DeChambeau, Xander Shoffley, Jordan Spieth, all missed the cut. We're watching the final two days of the tournament from home. Give me one of those four that you say, no big deal, wasn't their weekend, uh, but I'm not worried about them. And one guy where you would say, um, where you would say, hey, this is some cause for concern and potentially a big red flag. Yeah, so I'm certainly not worried about Xander Shoffley. I think this was just a rough draw for him in terms of his tee times. He had a really bad tee time on that second round, fired to 77, missed the cut. But overall, his major championship resume is absolutely fantastic. I think he is built to win a U.S. Open or a PGA Championship. Great driver of the golf ball, makes a ton of birdies. Unflappable, but maybe not to the degree of Scotty Scheffler, but certainly one of those guys who loves the heat of competition, won the gold at the U.S. Olympics, so he knows the big stage very well. Bryson DeChambeau, I've got my concerns about him. So 76-80 in his first two rounds at the Masters, and obviously that second day was difficult for mostly everybody except for Shane Lowry, but DeChambeau has been dealing with a bone bruise. I don't think he was 100% going into this Masters. I think he said like 80%, something like that. So he's still trying to get healthy for the PGA Championship at Southern Hills. But also, you factor in that Bryson has yet to really figure out Augusta National. His best performance was as an amateur, and he once called Augusta a par 67. So if we're going off of Bryson's par 67, he's plus 129 in his career at the Masters. If we're going off the actual number, I think it's way less, but par 72, of course. But for Bryson, injury concerns and whether he can compete at a PGA Championship or a U.S. Open with really really thick, luscious, rough, and a bone bruise in his hand. I mean, a lot of question marks for him. I think he needs to take some time off. I hope he didn't have any setbacks this past week. Probably a good thing he missed the cut, but I am concerned about Bryson from an injury standpoint. The golf gods are so real in that we all know it. Anyone who plays golf, anytime they kind of have that thought, oh, I think I've figured it out a little bit. I think I've got something, this one swing thought, this one tempo thought that, that it's working for me now and I'm going to get yeah. this groove. And then immediately, the second you say that out loud, boom, no, you don't. The shanks come back. And Bryson having the audacity to call uh, Augusta <laughs> a par 67. The golf gods are said, we are going to make your life a living hell here for quite some time. Karma is real, as are the golf gods. Cam, you are the man. I appreciate you. Follow him on Twitter at Mr. Rogers 99. He's a national betting and golf analyst and the host of Lock It In on Believe Network. Cam, thank you so much for your time, the insight, the analysis. Uh, and it was a lot of fun, man. Really appreciate it and hoping to have you back soon.
Thank you, Joe. Appreciate it. Big fan of your work. Keep up the great work. Always enjoy following you. Cam, very kind of you. And again, thank you for your insight and analysis, recapping uh, a very fun and eventful weekend at Augusta, even if, again, they did a, the drama wasn't there with Scotty Scheffler running away from it. Lots of storylines still to discuss, and Cam recapped them perfectly. Some big things ahead on the PGA Tour. Let's give away some free money, a couple promos, some winning picks, and get the heck out of here on this Monday. New WinBet users can receive $200 in free bets after they make their first qualifi qualifying deposit and place their first bet on WinBet. Once that bet is settled, you will receive four installments of $50 free bets. Go to winbet.com or download the WinBet app for official rules and details. And this episode's secret word is Scotty to Hottie. A little WWE reference there for those who appreciate that. But Scotty Scheffler is absolutely a man on fire, best golfer in the world as we speak today. That is the secret word. Scotty, C-S-C-O-T-T-I-E, the number two. Hottie, H-O-T-T-I-E. Send that secret word and phrase to WinBets DMs on Twitter. Include your WinBet username and email for a $25 free bet. Terms and conditions apply. We've got winning picks after a hot end to the month of March and a win to begin April. I am 0 for my last two, which is not great. But the good news is, is we're getting a W here today. Got some baseball picks for you. Uh, two picks. We're going to start with a three-team money line parlay, betting on good teams to beat bad teams. We've got the Brewers money line at Baltimore. Baltimore is winless, and the O's starter, Bruce Zimmerman, uh, was torched in the spring, also had a 5.04 ERA last year. The Brewers, one of the best teams in the NL Central, the favorite to win the NL Central. I also have the Rays beating the Athletics at home. The Rays are 3-0. And they're off to a torch, a scorching start on both sides when we talk about pitching. And with the bats, they rank sixth in OPS. And their uh, rotation ranks number one in ERA. They're number 11 in opponent's batting average. And then rounding it out, the Cardinals. With a, they're taking the Cardinals' money line against the Pirates. Cardinals are absolutely scorching out of the gate as well. They're 2-1 and one with a plus-8 run differential. Only 17 strikeouts through those three games. It's third best in all of baseball. And they rank second in OPS at plus 846. That three-team parlay, Cardinals, Rays, Brewers, is plus 272. My winning pick here is Blue Jays' first five money line uh, at the Yankees. Minus 110 is that line. The reason why I'm taking first five is because I like Alec Manoa. He had a 3.22 ERA as a rookie with a 10.2 K per nine rate. And in his two starts against the Yankees last season, he posted a 2.31 ERA with 11 strikeouts in 11 and two-thirds innings. And I'm just avoiding a bullpen that's gotten torched through three games this year. The Blue Jays' pitching has been terrible. I'm expecting Alec Manoa to right that ship a bit in these first five. Uh, and then the lineup has been the best in baseball so far. They rank number one in OPS, and they've already got seven home runs in three games. And Jamison Tyon, very average across the board. So you have a starting pitching edge and a batting order edge. Give me the Blue Jays' first five. If you want to take them full game, you can get them at plus money. Right now, it's plus 107 on win bet. I also love their team total over four runs. That, to me, at worst, is a push. So throw that in there as well. And that's our winning pick. Blue Jays' first five money line. Also love the team total over four runs. That is going to do it. 
Big show on Thursday. We're going to have uh, a guest in to preview the NBA playoffs. Once the dust is settled and the field is set, we'll have some matchups on both sides uh, with the Eastern and Western Conference that we want to discuss and dive into. I will discuss my futures and my confidence level in those futures, uh, as well as maybe some other best bets and series prices uh, that our guest likes. That guest to be revealed on Thursday. Thanks so much. Thank you so much for joining me here on this Monday. Uh, we'll see you Thursday right here on Bet to Win. <laughs>